Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science has If you changed. count the legal votes, I we easily wish go for a short it is time to get your bricks This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to I shouldn't be up here. What? I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? This week, Boris Johnson was attacked for saying that Margaret Thatcher was ahead of the game in fighting climate change when she shut down the coal mines. But I think he's got a point. In the same way, we should praise Al-Qaeda for the Twin Towers, because they shortened two flights that would have poured carbon into the atmosphere, and whatever else you might think about 9-11, it's important to give them credit for being ahead of the game on reducing emissions. This is a refreshing way to view history. For example, many British towns were blighted with slums in the 1930s and 1940s and really needed demolishing. And the Luftwaffe were ahead of the game in reducing them to rubble. So we should respect them for that. When Matt Hancock was condemned for sending people infected with Covid back into the care homes, he deserved to be praised. Because in years to come, Boris Johnson will point out that he was ahead of the game in solving Britain's pension crisis by getting rid of a few thousand of the old sods. This is the sort of clear thinking that means we should be relieved to have Boris Johnson leading us through this climate crisis. The country's weather has changed so drastically, almost every area now is suffering from violent floods and downpours, and the man we have in charge to deal with it is someone not capable of opening an umbrella. This is how seriously the government takes climate change. Alok Sharma, who is the Minister for Climate Change, has flown to 30 different countries in the last few months. I expect he'll turn up to this climate change conference they're having in Glasgow in a Formula One car and say, why are we having this meeting indoors? Let's go outside and talk about it under some patio heaters. Now, to be fair, Lord Devon, who is chair of the Climate Change Committee, praise the government for its targets, giving them 9 out of 10. The only trouble, he says, is that they've hardly done anything to meet the targets and given their policies 4 out of 10. But who cares what they do? It's the targets that matter. This is why the main winners for the Olympics have been the Falkland Islands. Because although they didn't send anyone, they set a target of 3 million gold medals. So they must be absolutely thrilled. Now, I don't want to get technical here, which can happen with this subject, but using the correct scientific language, our climate is so ruined that fucking Canada is on fire. Canada! The whole point of Canada is to be full of icy waste and moose. Turkey's on fire. Germany's underwater. It's all happening so quickly. Animal species are all either dying out or moving somewhere mad. South London's full of parakeets. Soon it'll be snakes and tarantulas everywhere. People even walking around the middle of Newcastle going, the Hay Street's full of camels, man. 
cheaper than an Uber mind. Crofters will be up in Inverness going, I've been reading to the allotment and it's full of damned scorpions again. They've fair eaten their wee street through my banana crop. The weather forecast will go, well, uh, another week of scattered fires across the north of England with temperatures reaching 120 degrees Celsius. We can expect the odd hurricane in the south with a few spots of apocalypse turning more settled though for the weekend so a chance for the survivors to get out and enjoy the desert. In a couple of years Birmingham will be underwater from rising sea levels and Boris Johnson will turn up in a hard hat going uh, this gives the city an excellent opportunity to be ahead of the game in, in turning Aston Villa into a water skiing centre and offering luxury cruises along the M6 to Wolverhampton. This is a man who shook hands with a room full of people who had coronavirus as he didn't think that would mean he caught coronavirus and then caught it. If humanity had depended on someone this ridiculous, last time we had a climate crisis, the story in the Bible would go, For forty days the rain did fill the earth, and God saith unto Noah, he must buildeth an ark, and collecteth two of every beast. But Noah did misseth the meeting with God, as he wanteth a weekend at Chequers. And Noah did speak unto God, saying, Not to worry, as I've set a target of everything being bone dry by Wednesday. I'm ahead of the game. What the fuck is now, as you will know if you've heard this podcast before, I have to have someone who can try and help me answer the question, what the fuck is going on? And it is my absolute delight, international delight, to welcome this week comedian, presenter, Kerry Pritchard-McLean. Rounds of applause throughout the land. <laughs> Not only comedian, presenter, but comedian, presenter in a, more than one nationality and language, I believe, Kiri. <laughs> well, I think I'm one of those sort of British people who speaks English to a medium level and then speaks another language to quite an adequate basic level. That's as far as I'm willing to go on it. <laughs> I've been mean, asked to do a joke about this, about if a sort of group of blokes go to France for the weekend and at any point one person goes, oh, well, merci beaucoup. The others go, ooh. You've picked up the local language. Listen to him. Ooh, Charles de Gaulle. I know there is that. But we will come to this. First of all, what the fuck is going on right now? I speak as someone who watches a stupid amount of sport. Jack Grealish has been sold from Aston Villa from whence he came to Manchester City for a hundred million pounds. Now, there's not a footballing question. Is anyone worth a hundred million pounds? Well, I mean, my instinct would be to say yes, but only because it's such an abstractly large number. I've got, like, no idea what it actually stands for. Do you know what I mean? Because it's just an obscene amount of money. It's like when people, you know, they say I've got, like, a 500-thread count duvet, and I'm like, well, it's still just a duvet, isn't it? Like, it's so big, I, I can't imagine that it's going to be any better. The number is just too high. So I would say that, I guess, in my head, I don't know much about football. I'm more of a rugby girl myself. But, like, I would say, OK, well, footballers are paid a lot. That sounds like a lot of money, so that sounds about right. And I know that he was something to do with England doing well. Can you tell that Wales got knocked out very early? <laughs> <laughs> I know that he is sort of like man of the moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I should be in there brokering these deals. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of money do people get sold for in rugby in Wales? Do you know? 
I mean, it only went pro in 1995. So, like, Gareth Thomas, who's like an iconic Welsh rugby player. Yeah. I mean, when he was started off playing professional rugby, he was still working as a painter and decorator. Oh, no, he was a postman. He was oh, a right. postman. So he'd finish his round and then he'd go and play professionally. So it's only in the last sort of, I would say, 10 years where genuine, serious money, where you it can be your career is. But it is nothing like the kind of money that you would get. I think it's what a sort of, like, a decent comedian you know, like a comedian who's oh, they're doing all right. I think it's about what they would be paid, not the kind of mad pop star numbers that footballers get. Oh, wouldn't that be brilliant if we could be transferred? <laughs> oh, Lee Max gone to Nottingham Forest. <laughs> <laughs> they needed someone a bit a bit earthy and a bit quick with the repartee, so they've got him up front now, and they're going to be brilliant this season with Bridget Christie playing at left back. And then the really big one, like McIntyre will go to Italy for a couple of years. Whereas Rye observations about household objects surprisingly didn't work in Florence. (laughs) But I think there's a world in which we could have that happen. Well, I think it'd be brilliant. If supposing you had billions of pounds, I wonder if you could buy a footballer, if anyone could just buy, say, Jack Grealish just to show off and then just have him come round and do the garden and that. I'd love that. You know, like in Victorian times, they would buy like a mummy's foot as an icebreaker, like a conversation piece in the house. Right. I would quite happily buy sort of like Gareth Bale to sit on my sideboard. <laughs> and when people come in and go, is that Gareth Bale? And I go, yeah, it is actually. It's an original. <laughs> and then we just, we just sort of have a chat about it. I think it would be worth the money. All right. I think we've established that. We've sort that Now, something I have to ask you for your specialist knowledge. This is in particular over the last sort of year and a half of the pandemic. Every night on the news, they tell you what's the latest figures and what's happening. But when they finish telling you, well, the bubbles, the restrictions, the something, the pubs and the <laughs> cafes and whatever, and the number of vaccinations. And then they go, and I don't know what this must be like. Please tell me what it must be like if you're Welsh. They then go... But in Wales, it's different. (laughs) Whatever they tell you now, loud out. But in Wales, you still have to live inside a cardboard box and (laughs) sign a declaration saying you're not allowed to breathe for a month or whatever it is. So what's that? Are people in Wales, are you fed up of that? I actually think we like it because for years there was an apocryphal tale that was recently proved that in the Encyclopedia Britannica when you looked up Wales it just said see England (laughs) which obviously is culturally and in terms of our language and our geography we aren't English and lots of people when you say you're from Wales they think it is a village in England which doesn't help the the sizable chip on our shoulders no so I actually think that Covid has been sort of quite helpful for people to realise that we're different country with our own laws we have you know the nhs is devolved so health is devolved yeah, yeah. which is i would say one of the reasons why it's quite swapping through wales and israel but in terms of vaccinations we're either the best or the second best in the world in terms of our vaccination schemes and then um, I, I actually think it's been good for us to have the whole it's different in wales thing going on because we quite like it and also there's just sort of any excuse to sort of feel superior to the english you would think that the, there'd be a lot more people who would be anti-lockdown in wales but actually we're sort of like no that's that's the english that are anti-lockdown actually we care about 
about each other and we want to keep each other safe. So there was a sort of real smugness to it. But the only problem we're having now is there is this schism with lots of people who've come here on holiday. I, I live um, on Onismo on the island at the top of Wales and lots of people have come here on holiday, which is wonderful, but they don't realise that we have different laws here in terms of face coverings. And then there's real sort of um, clashes with local people who are like, oh, you need to wear a mask. And they're like, no, I don't. It's, it's optional. And they're like, not in this country. And they're going, oh, it doesn't count. I'm English. And so there is a real sort of um, people butting heads. They really think that because they are from another country, the laws of the country they're in don't apply. <laughs> I actually think that they don't realise we have different laws or that they don't care enough about them. I think they see us as some sort of, um, well, <laughs> there will be people who see us as some sort of colony that's that's being just a bit particular or you know like a golf club that won't let you wear trainers indoors that kind of you know like a nightclub with ideas above its station i think that they think that we're like you can't wear football shirts in here as opposed to the fact like oh no it's the law and it's right, been, right. you know we've been quite strict about things on covid and as a result we've kind of got through it okay so i think that they think it's just us being finickety in particular as opposed to the law in the country that must be i wonder actually i wonder if there's been a boom time for bouncers given that <laughs> Right at the co-op. Can't come in here without a face mask, mate. <laughs> face masks straight out. Don't try nothing. But there is. There's bouncers now. And normally, if a, you know, Friday, Saturday night, they would have been, you know, pulling drunks apart from a fight in the street or, you know, kicking people out for, in my case, falling asleep usually in a nightclub because I, when I get drunk, I get tired. But now the biggest struggle is standing on the door of Asta, which it must be, it's a real boom time to be a member of door staff, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it must be. So, no, the people moan about COVID. Oh, 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 NHS, all these people dead or whatever. But for some people, it's worked out well. <laughs> Let's not forget that. It's, yeah, it's real sunshine years for door staff. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got to ask you about the language because I, you know, I've been coming from the country that is just historically the worst. There must have been Stone Age tribes that were better at learning languages than people in England. <laughs> So I come from my father's first language, Welsh. I had an English-speaking household. I went to an English-speaking primary school. And as I left, the Welsh Language Act came in in 1999, which means that all children had to learn Welsh in school. So I went to a Welsh medium high school, but I did a GCSE in Welsh. But I have a very sort of quite a painful relationship with the fact that I don't speak the language of my country because where I live as well is very high proportion of Welsh speakers. So since I've moved back about a year ago, I've redoubled my efforts and my dream is to do stand-up comedy in Welsh. But it's so terrifying because you know how quickly your brain needs to move with hecklers and things to keep across a room. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, what the, I speak Welsh like I've had some kind of head injury as a child. <laughs> so I don't think that I can keep my sort of quick whip moving in the language so I'm just going to have to if I do stand up in Welsh I'm going to have to take on the chin that I'm going to be very very bad at it it's not going to be a smooth transition I've got an ambition to do a show in French at some point but I'm similar sort of thing I think I could I'm all right with it but if anything happened it'd be chaos if somebody shouted something and I'd go what what were you saying they'd all be laughing that's like <laughs> that terrible dream they're all laughing ha <laughs> ah, ha the silly English man he does not know that we have taken piss out of something he doesn't know what oh no but I suppose you wouldn't get any um license would you because they'd go well you're Welsh weirdly the fact that so when I speak it I sound like I'm first language because I, I've got a very strong North Walian accent when I speak Welsh. So my problem is when I go to speak to people, 
they assume that I'm first language and speak very quickly back to me with more complex Welsh than you would to a learner. And then oh, I have yeah, to yeah, go, yeah. oh, no, I'm so sorry. I'm only learning and get on my sort of like most English ridiculous <laughs> Maggie Smith accent. So they sort of go, oh, OK, and then speak to me at the pace that you would speak to a learner in. But yes, I'm so excited. Do you know what's made me realise as well, though? I started writing bits of stand up in Welsh. You look at Eddie Azard. She is absolutely amazing. The languages that she's done shows in yeah, yeah, yeah. like her brain well i i think we should keep it for medical science because it's absolutely incredible yeah no, i agree <laughs> the point at which i realized that sort of how unusual it is for the english to know any languages so i play cricket and there's a bloke a marvelous bloke i play with who's from a very working class background in middlesbrough a really sort of North Yorkshire accent. But he just learns languages. He just learns them all. And we've got a few Indian players in the side. And we were playing one day. So the, this bloke said he wanted to talk to one of the Indians. He said, I'm just going to ask uh, Rikesh summer, uh, Mark, just just here. <laughs> I said, yeah, all right. And uh, then he started, because he speaks Hindi. And he just started shouting Hindi across the field. whatever. And there was a bloke from the other team stood next to me. And I just remember the look on his face of utter bewilderment. It was glorious. And he just went, is your mate talking fucking Indian? (laughs) (laughs) It was such a marvellous, marvellous little... There was like 300 years of history in that little sentence. (laughs) Brilliant. Kerry, it has been marvellous. At very least, you have explained what the fuck is going on in Wales. (laughs) Now there's just the rest of the world to deal with. Thank you so much, beautifully, bountifully. Oh, I reckon I can do it. Un die tre pedoir, a pumpkech, saith with noideg. Oh, and for English people who don't understand Welsh, what I was saying was, "What the fuck is going on in Welsh?" <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Kerry. It's been an absolute delight and a pleasure. We'll see you again very, very soon. Oh, thanks for having me. Bye. Now, there's a new series of Strictly Come Dancing coming up and some people have been upset because this week it was announced that Bruno Tonioli is going to be replaced as a judge by Anton Dubeck, who was one of the dancers on the programme before. Now, I don't really know what to think about this, but luckily we have with us someone who is an expert on Strictly Come Dancing, George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Anton Dubeck. Your treacherous opportunism in expropriating the seat previously occupied by the diminutive dancer Bruno Tonioli is reminiscent of the egregious attempts by the loathsome miscreants of the CIA to usurp the ethereal magnificence of Fidel Castro himself, a master of the Paso Doble, and who remains the rightful leader of Cuba despite his death. That, Anton Dubeck, is why there will never be a statue of you in the golden city of Galloweygrad, which, mark my words, will one day be erected. What the fuck is going on? Now, this week, Lord Digby Jones 
Baron Jones of Birmingham made a statement about Alex Scott, the ex-England footballer who is now an Olympic commentator, complaining that she didn't pronounce her G's at the end of a word. Competitors are not taking part, Alex, in the fencing, rowing, boxing, kayaking, weightlifting and swimming. He's known as someone who is passionate about protecting the Queen's English as the proper way to speak. So this is disastrous for Her Majesty because she'll have to do all the Olympic commentating. Here we are at the skateboarding and it's the Belgian with a fakey into a McTwist and a grind into a cooked grind and oh lovely carving across the course and a, oh no he's come off. Oh disaster for the Belgian he's fallen off his deck rather like his ancestors fell under Leopold II in the Congo, who I met, uh, by the way. The English language is filled with words from all over the world. How can you speak proper English when you use words like ballet, cafe and buy a croissant from a delicatessen? What is proper English? We assume someone like Isaac Newton spoke proper English, giving lectures that went, Ah, my good sir, I propose my theories of motion can be expressed thus. But he was from the 17th century, so we have no idea what he sounded like. He might have got to the Royal Society every day and gone, All right, hooky me old son. <laughs> Here, now, listen, thing is with your cosmic bodies, right? They're going to keep motoring in a straight line till some other body or gravity or something rear ends and knocks them all haywire. Of course, this is only valid in an inertial reference frame. Uh, I mean, it's a basic law of motion, isn't it? Oh, it gets a point, son. After 1066, for two centuries, proper English was Norman French. So back then, if the Digby Joneses of the day had heard someone saying, one wishes you good day, sire, though one regrets the inclement weather, Posh people at the time would have said, Oh my God, this filthy jab, he speaks so common, he must never be allowed to commentate upon the Olympic jousting. The first written English was around Chaucer's time, and so, to start with, that was considered common. But then it became the language of the royal court, so it became posh. So if Digby Jones wants a presenter to speak proper English, he's going to have to get someone to commentate on the Olympic cycling by going... Yonder maiden, slight a waste, abreast a bike with plenty haste, Laura Kenny, Albion's gold. That'd be Germany fucking told. And then posh people talk about how they love Shakespeare's language as the height of proper Englishness. But when you see actors now doing Shakespeare going, Hark, thou that thither doth, that thine be true, thou thine wretched cur. That can't be how they sounded at the time. Now, the actor Ben Crystal has researched how the works of Shakespeare would actually have sounded at the time, and he reckons... The trend has been to speak the words very beautifully and carefully, and it's very, very different than how it would have been 400 years ago. This is why lots of Shakespeare's rhymes no longer work. He had love rhyming with prove, and when I hear stuff like that, I think, Shakespeare, you lazy fucking... Bastard. Loads of things rhyme with love. You could have had dove or glove or you get me, bruv. But the reason this happens is that words were pronounced differently then because proper English has changed. So Ben Crystal also points out that in Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare used the word film, but it was originally spelt film, the way it's still said in Northern Ireland. 
So if Digby Jones wants to hear Shakespeare done in proper English, he's going to have to go to Belfast and hear him go, As I do we dagger I see before me side eyes. But maybe he's not just making a mistake. Maybe there's a reason he prefers the Queen's English to Alex Scott's English. In a recent study, listeners were played 10-second clips of speakers reading the same script in various accents, and the study found... Among the hundred or so recorded voices was one of a young woman from South Essex. Most of those who listened to the clip felt she was less intelligent than the other voices they heard. And yet the woman they heard was Dr Amanda Cole, a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Essex's Department of Language and Linguistics, who was the person carrying out the study in the first place. Because language changes! So what is... Proper English. What was proper in 1560, nobody says now. Otherwise, you'd get letters to the Daily Telegraph that go, Dear sir, I had the unfortunate experience of travelling upon the upper deck of a 133 bus to Clapham Common, whereupon several youths did sit nearby. Throughout the journey, not one of them used the phrase, Forsooth from the knaves to the chaps, methinks. Is it any wonder that we had to give India back? One subject that I think has been confusing for a lot of people that have been watching the news over this last week or so is the appalling prospect of the Taliban returning to rule bits of Afghanistan. And the implications of this, of course, are international. They even come over here. And I discovered that, actually, when I was listening to one person talking about it in a cafe. Well, according to Richard Maidley on Good Morning Britain, the Taliban are taking over in Afghanistan again, which is horrendous news because Colin and I had been looking at property in Kandahar as we planned to let it out on Airbnb. It's awfully bad timing because we found a wonderful two-bedroom maisonette on Zoopla for less than 140 k as long as it was cash in a brown paper bag. It even had its own poppy field, so you could set up a business selling craft heroin, which means it would pay for itself. We were thinking of going ahead anyway, but then we heard the Taliban are going to outlaw doorbells because they're too musical, so no one would know when the Ocado delivery had arrived. And they've repatriated all the interpreters, so we wouldn't be able to leave notes for the cleaning woman. So now we've given up on the whole thing, which is so upsetting for Nectarine, because she's doing a project on religious fundamentalism at school, and she was bound to get extra marks for first-hand experience. But that's the trouble with the world. It's just me, me, me with some people. Excuse me, I asked for porcupine breast milk in my flat white, and this tastes like iguana. Oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, there are quite a lot of messages from people who are listening to the podcast or claim to be listening to the podcast. Mark Gibson says, I listened to your episode on a bus as we were driving past the mound at Marble Arch and thought, what the fuck is going on with that? Catherine Dow Blyton also asked, what the fuck is going on with the mound, the very same mound? And she is an actress in Emmerdale, so she's used to implausible things happening, but even she thinks that this is just something that you have to ask what the fuck is going on about. I've not actually seen it myself, but apparently it costs £2 million and it's just a sort of grass step that goes up to the Marble Arch. And when you get up to the Marble Arch, all you can see is the same as you can see from the floor, except that you're the height of Marble Arch. I don't know what you expect to be able to see when you get up the top. Do they promise you can see like, oh, it's like being on Saturn and you can see 
sort of Neptune round the corner. I don't know what they're promising, but nonetheless, they've spent several million pounds on it. And I think when you look at all of the things going on in the world, I think it's fairly reasonable to say that two million pounds should be spent on a mushy grass step going up to the Marble Arch that enthralls people and engages people to such a degree that all of them subsequently contact a podcast called What the Fuck is Going On. What the fuck is going on? Now, one of the ways in which people find out what the fuck is going on with anything in the world is through music, and you can tell people which generation they are from what the, the musical influences are and so on. And so, this becomes fascinating if you want to find out what the fuck is going on with the current generation. Now, I'm lucky in that I've bred someone who is able to try and explain the changes in musical trends. Elliot Steele, speaking to us from a hotel in Birmingham. So, Elliot, one of the things that I find very, very irritating about my own generation, and I don't know if you have heard this from them as well, is when people my age say the music of today is no good, it's not like it was when we were around, we were young and rebellious and we had stuff like The Clash, what's happened to it? Have you heard that from people my age? No, but I don't really listen to people your age. (laughs) Apparently, everything that ever happened between the 60s and 1999 was amazing, and you just had to be there. See, I think it's really interesting, this, because, like, my parents' generation, they just didn't like any music. Not all of them, but quite a lot of them. They just didn't like any music at all. Like, I was thinking, say, my mum and dad, anything from Eddie Cochran to Kendrick Lamar... Is just that modern rubbish. <laughs> when were your parents born? 1923 and 1924. So they were like just after the loot and just before the keyboard. That's like my <laughs> understanding of that. Yeah. Well, I think it is interesting because they would never have been teenagers as such. Well, they would have had to have been teenagers. Ah, they would have been teenagers, but not in the way that was understood once you had rock and roll. I think that when they were when they were teenagers, weren't they listening to like the shelling? <laughs> like the Germans bombing their own. Do you reckon that's what they did? They just stood there like gun fingering in the air, doing little dances as they <laughs> wait for the drop on this. Oh, it's a doodle bug quality. I'll be waiting for one of these. I was wondering when they were going to drop this all night. <laughs> DJs at the time. we <laughs> waiting for the DJ to drop this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, class. I'm listening to the sounds of my neighbour in flames. That's what quality. <laughs> All right, this one going out to all the ladies down there in the Anderson Shelter. If you're down there in the underground, this one going out to you. But, of course, this is the brilliant thing, is that the music of the time, Bix Beiderbeck, Bix Beiderbeck was a jazz musician. If you listen to it now, like he did songs like called The Riverboat Shuffle. And you would think, well, what a load of old-fashioned nonsense. Bix Beiderbeck was a junkie. He was considered radical because he's hung around with young black jazz musicians like Louis Armstrong. He was the sort of the J. Cole of his day. I mean, more than that, more the Dave, the Stormzy of his day, Big Spiderbeck. But that's the same way you're like, yeah, you've got maybe Dave, you've got a Stormzy, you've got people who can create that. There is also a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Like, if you listen to the top 40 stuff, it's just, but that's like if you watch films. Like, the problem is the masses that people, like, 
get to dictate things. So it's like the most popular films are the Fast and Furious franchise. So it's, I wouldn't say like music is necessarily, it's hard to say like, it's not so culturally reflective as I like to think as people make out. No, but it never is. In 1977, the biggest selling single was Staying Alive, the John Travolta, the Bee Gees, you know, Staying mm. Alive. And that was at the height of punk. But the fact that punk songs got into the charts at all. But grime and rap is going the way of rock music. It's going to be in 20 years' time, people are going to look at that and go, you, like, so, so many, like, if you watched, uh, Kiss, these guys were like rebellious because they wore face paint and dresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas well, now yeah. it's like your people are going to be like, wait, this guy was hard who wore a mask. He's like five foot six and he keeps saying like ridiculous things. Words that don't even rhyme over and over again, like they're rhyming blummer with fummer and things like that. Like that's that is it's commercialized. And it has been for ages. I find it astonishing that people my age sometimes think of rap and hip hop as being all oh, this modern stuff they've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's been around for 40 years. Now I see that with my own generation going, oh, right, yeah, this right, young yeah. hip hop that I see. Yeah, they think, oh, God, this guy's like Tupac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. This is why I get very frustrated with people who think that radical music in the 70s has never been surpassed. Now, I still think some of it was brilliant. I'd say the best of it, a song like Babylon's Burning. Are you familiar with that? No. Babylon's Burning with Anxiety. Right, the ruts. Now, something like that has got nothing of the complexity of Black by Dave or something like that. Yeah, Babylon Burning sounds shit. I'm not going to lie. No, it's not shit. It sounds really shit. I'm going to look up the lyrics now. No, the lyrics are not... You're not going to get a great deal from the lyrics. Well, you've got to get the sense of it, you know. Like, if you listen to the Pistols album, it doesn't sound radical now. But at the time, you've got to imagine... that Just the fact that they said bollocks on the just him saying babylon's burning about 50 times that's not a song well he was very very concerned that that message got across well mission accomplished (laughs) now i'm starting to think you're doing the opposite annoying thing because i started off about to say the younger generation are marvelous because they've got such wonderful eclectic tastes they don't prejudge they've written to listen to anything and now you're proving me wrong because you're going, it's all shit. Yeah, fuck your music. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, I want to listen to some guy with a guitar when someone can literally go on a Mac and there's like 50,000 different types of guitar. No, well, you yeah. can't. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Why would I listen to No, the, the thing with your generation, what it's supposed to be is that you do listen to, that you would listen to Bowie. Oh, stop telling us what we're supposed to be. You've ruined the ozone layer. We're allowed to be whatever we want. Well, I'm glad we've ruined the ozone layer. <laughs> I'm fucking glad. <laughs> Thank you very much, Elliot Steele, for explaining what the fuck is going on. What the fuck is going on? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, then please send me a message on Twitter at Mr. Mark Steele and we'll do our best to look at all the messages that you send. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests, Kiri Pritchard-McLean and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the fuck is going on is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries.